0: Um, have you ever noticed how to do this? Uh, how to notice when God is doing something in your life? Uh, how do you actually know? When, how do we notice when God is doing something, uh, trying to get our attention? There are times in my Christian life, I think, I was aware that God was trying to get my attention. And there are other times, I, I think it passed me by, and I look back and I think, oh, actually I think God was trying to get my attention, but I, I wasn't alert, I wasn't aware, I wasn't perhaps spiritually minded, there was something that was preventing me from seeing uh, that God was trying to get my attention. So, how can we be sure that we are paying attention when God is trying to get our attention? And I think the parable we're looking at today will help us with that. As we continue through the book of Luke, we're now in Luke 16, and we're looking at the passage beginning in verse 19, which we'll read in a moment. And this passage is largely about warnings. Warnings can be very helpful. I rather like some of these signs I found. Or warning. Yes, like fire alarm. (laughs) Yes. Um.
1: (coughs) stage,
0: Do not touch. This not only will this kill you, it will hurt the whole time you are dying. (laughs) (laughs) Or warning to burglars. This house is guarded with a shotgun three days a week. Guess which day. (laughs) See if you're lucky. Or Touching wires causes instant death, $200 fine, that might be the least of your worries at that point. Or, beware of the dog, the cat is not trustworthy either. (laughs) Yes, some of us who know cats know this to be the case. Or, this is my favourite, in case of fire, exit building, before tweeting about
1: it. Now, that
0: is a 21st century sign. Uh, Kind of relevant for what happened today, which was seriously not planned in this way. Um, this Actually, my all-time favorite so far, is there life after death? (laughs) Trespass here, and find (laughs) out. Humorous warnings, but we're grateful for warnings. Aren't we? When they're about serious things. Our parents gave us lots of warnings. Do you have a favourite warning your parent, one of your parents gave you like when you were young, like beware of this, watch out for that? What kind of warnings did your parent, did our parents give us? Favourite warning, Sarah? My, my dad
1: said,
0: make, sure make sure your feet are covered when you're in bed. Make sure your feet are covered when you're in bed. A dragon will bite. A dragon will bite your toes. <laughs> Is that abuse or Wally? Uh, yeah. <laughs> we still struggle to uncover our toes in he doesn't. It's a deep seated psychotic. Your feet always move constantly, if all inches of sleep. You just want to make sure the dragons <laughs> can't get the toes, okay. fat yes, good. I have to remember that. Any others?
1: I had a interesting one from an aunt of
0: mine who used to say I must always wash my feet before I get into bed. Because I may have walked the AIDS virus and then I'm gonna have it in bed with me. And that's why I make Okay. Wow. Jesus! Wow. I got the bad dragon. <laughs> so we so far we've got dragons <laughs> and HIV aids Any
1: <laughs> any others?
0: Sorry. So Pen?
1: So, I was boasting about buying some potatoes, a sack of potatoes. were reduced at Morrison's.
0: How much was the whole big sack, darling?
1: 19p. 19p for a big sack there of potatoes. Inside. And uh, my daughter a... said, how do you know somebody hasn't injected you with AIDS? <laughs> oh! <laughs> I'm not going to tell you what my
0: Okay. I used to remember the, we'll, we'll take the risk. We'll for we'll, 19B we'll take the risk. So um no? oh, yes. Good. Any others? Any others, Kate?
1: Well,
0: I can take the one that I do. Go on yes, yes, give yours your own Yes.
1: cooperation
0: Cooperation goes two way. Okay, excellent, another one? Just one more. If I drink coffee I will get fleas in my stomach. <laughs> <laughs> I can't even work out you how that can be connected. Have you been playing Oscar? drink coffee and get ah. fleas in your stomach. <laughs> well, that gives you and I are in a lot of trouble. And Joe, right? Oh, yeah, goodness yeah, me. Yeah, Dan, you had one? Um, uh, the one I the most of my house is five minutes, then you're off
1: Five minutes, then you're off-screen.
0: Or it's a month. They so don't always... Uh, <coughs> <coughs> Really? They don't always pay attention?
1: Yeah, All those teenagers. Okay, well, yeah. uh, that's
0: a surprise. Uh, there we go. We need warnings. This passage today is a bit of a warning. Patricia's going to come and read it for us. Is that okay, Stan? Yeah. Yeah, would you like to come up and uh, she'll read it for us? And uh, if you'd like to open your Bible, uh, whatever version you have, and turn to Luke 16, and we're looking at verses 19 to 31. So that's chapter 16, verses 19 to 31.
1: In hell, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away, Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, "Father Abraham, have pity on me," and sent Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, <clears throat> because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, "Son." He said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead.
0: Thank you very much. Thank you. Super. So, warnings. First of all, let's think about the rich man and Lazarus. Let's do a bit of a compare and contrast with the two characters the main characters in this story. We have Abraham, of course, in the story. We'll talk more about him later. Uh, but let's think about Lazarus and the rich man. What do you see as parallels or contrasts between the two characters here? What stands out? Parallels, contrasts, differences, similarities, particularly contrasts, but what do we see? Lazarus, the rich man. Well, the rich man had nice clothes <coughs> but the other man was bigger. Okay. Yeah, party. Purple, fine linen. Doesn't mm. say what Lazarus was wearing, but we can be pretty sure it wasn't too Except good. Clothes. Oh yeah, okay. Barry. Well I think it was on like a sort of fly that the rich man had the ability to help himself and help others. I, mean, I think it would be Lazarus because It appears that Lazarus is completely dependent upon others for his help, whereas the rich man has that capacity to help himself and other people. Excellent, thank you, yes. Any others? What else can we see? Stands out. Contrasts. Similarities between the So, Very another one? Sorry. Okay, one is rich and one is poor. Very basic, but yeah. <coughs> it's actually a very significant spiritual point. not so much a contrast, right, but it is a very important point. We're going to come to that in a minute. It's part of the main part of the lesson because then we see um, the rich man having an attitude in the next life the same as he had in this life, actually. There was no change of heart there. He still saw Lazarus as beneath him, someone to help him, like a servant, rather than, anyway, that's the way it appears. Very good point. Somebody else? Anything else? We see contrasts between the two circumstances, character, anything in the passage. make us think this Sunday morning. I think um, Lazarus
1: was aware of the rich man uh-huh. and the blessings. Yes. You know, it was, he wanted, if he could, he would have the crumbs from his plate. But the rich man was
0: unaware of Lazarus. Yes, okay. Lazarus is aware of the rich man, the rich man is not aware of Lazarus appear to see him from what we can tell. Yeah, Simon. Well uh, <clears throat> Lazarus has close family network as well. But, you know his always the brothers and, you know, uh sorry not Lazarus, uh, the rich man. man. Yeah yeah. he's got his Because uh, he actually cares for them and they probably care for him as well, whether Lazarus know, dogs or something. we have no record of right, right. He has dogs. He the has Rich man, name man name has lots of friends presumably at his banquet but also at least five brothers. Yeah, very good point. Good stuff. Anything else?
1: rich man would have been perceived as being successful in life. You know, we all want to be comfortable, we all want to... My God, we all want to be successful, but actually, Lazarus was more successful
0: in ultimately, in Ultimately, Lazarus was more successful than the rich man, even though it didn't look like that in... The earthly state of the two of them, yes. Um, The rich man, (coughs) expending on that, the rich man might actually be seen as being better. Yes, righteous, Righteous? yes. He would have, in the misunderstanding that was common at that time about how God blessed people, yes. Yes. Indeed, righteousness and sinner, probably Lazarus, it would be assumed was a sinner because of his, (coughs) his situation. Not a proper reading of the Old, Old Testament, but it's an interpretation that was common at that time. And Lazarus yeah.
1: was dependent on the rich man of somebody else giving him food, because he mm-hmm.
0: was laid there, so he obviously couldn't walk. No. So he wouldn't be able to do it. seem head. helpless. Yeah. 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 There's, a, there's a lot going on in these characters. Let me just give you a few other things, and then we'll move on to a, two points I'd like to share with us today. Uh, the first is that Lazarus <coughs> has a name, and the rich man doesn't. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? In some translations, the rich man is called Dives or Dives. But that's, a, that's only a translation from the Latin into English of rich. That just means rich. It's not actually a name. Um, Lazarus is named. He is the only named uh, character in a parable that Jesus told. Which leads a lot of people to wonder whether this is a parable about the Lazarus that Jesus raised from the dead for John 11. I think it's actually unlikely because doesn't seem to fit anything particularly directly, and also Lazarus was quite a common name in those days. But nonetheless, he's named, but the rich man is is not. Lazarus' name means God helps, which is, I think, a deliberate thing Jesus is doing there, saying that the rich man could have helped himself, Lazarus appears to have had nothing, but yet God helps him takes him into the net, into a, a good place in eternal life. The wealthy and the poor, we've mentioned, just a quick note on, on wealth, because in this passage it's not so much wealth that's condemned, bear in mind that Lazarus ends up in Abraham's uh, by Abraham's side, or some <coughs> translations, Abraham's bosom, right up close, having a big hug there with Abraham, and Abraham was incredibly wealthy. If you look back into Genesis, right, I mean he had huge flocks and herds, and he was a very wealthy man, so he. Abraham's wealthy but ends up in paradise. This rich man doesn't. So it's not specifically about whether wealth is a good or bad thing here. Uh, Another thing is, well, healthy and unhealthy. We've talked kind of about that. Um, The rich man has friends. The Lazarus only has dogs. The rich man has banquets. The poor man has only poverty. Another small thing, but kind of interesting the rich man, it says, was buried. It doesn't say what happened to Lazarus. Well, we assume he had a nice burial, the rich man. Not that it did him any good. But Lazarus just sort of disappears off the scene here. He just dies. Um, one is in Hades, or hell in one translation, although most modern translations, more recent ones, would have Hades. One is in Hades, and one is uh, a paradise. In paradise. Um, it's the only parable that deals with something that's taking place in the next life. Again, another unique thing to this particular parable. Uh, One sees glory, sees glory, the rich man sees glory but doesn't experience it. (coughs) Lazarus experiences glory. Uh, One is alone in the next life and one is in fellowship in the next life. Uh, One is thirsty and one is presumably not thirsty. One is tormented and the other is comforted. One speaks in the next life and the other one doesn't. Lazarus We have no words at all from him in the whole parable. Isn't that interesting? It's just Jesus as the narrator and then the rich man speaking and and conversing with Abraham. We don't have any words from Lazarus. There's a a silence that somehow I think is meant to convey that his peace and his trust in God as opposed to the rich man speaking and, in fact, arguing, you could say. One is fixed in torment, the other is fixed in paradise. One begs for another chance and the other one seems to be at peace with his lot. Lots of interesting parallels and contrasts are between the two. So what do we learn from this passage about how God gets our attention, how to respond to that? How do we, what do we do when we notice it? So I think, first of all, let's just talk about the significance of having people to show us the way. People to guide us. I'm going to talk about people and we're going to talk about the Word of God itself. People and the Word of God. I think these are the two main things we see in this passage. The first is we need people, we need someone to say, not this way, that way, whether they look as cute as that or not. Uh, There are people sometimes that come into our lives, at times perhaps when we're not a Christian, or as a Christian, that come along and are able to help us to see that God is doing something, and for us to then uh, cooperate with God, and go in that right direction. That's part of the way that God gives us direction and helps us to, uh, to see what he's doing in our lives. God puts people into our lives. Just for quickly for a moment, with some of this, I just like say, like, in becoming a Christian, could you uh, give me the name of one person who was significant in helping guide you to become a Christian? Maybe the person who first met you, befriended you, or studied the Bible with you or anything. But, like, who would that be? Can we just throw out a few names? <coughs> Chuck Graham. Graham. Irene. 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 Okay. Christina Dowdy. Yeah, I know Christina. Yeah, yeah. Christina. know? Yeah. Jacques. Jacques. Yeah. Good name. Anybody else? Sam Lee. Sam Lee. Sammy Lee. Oh, I love Sam. The good footballer. Mm-mm. Love Sam. Norman, Norman. Norman. Water. A... Norman. Wakamoto. Norman Wakamoto. Excellent. Excellent. Any?
1: Great
0: teaching. Don't preaching, don't ask preacher preaching, mm. and uh, Jack Bishop. Yep. All very helpful. Yeah. Julie De uh one person in my journey to becoming a Christian. I was supposed to say you. You were. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't there.
1: Uh...
0: I served it up. But... <laughs> let have a chat later. Oh well, never mind. So it's I, I can edit that bit. Oh. So.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, that's right, darling. Yeah. So oh, Funny you should mention that. So there's there's people who were well, used. In a very significant way to help us become a Christian, and then I think if we reflect on our Christian lives, haven't there also been people who were there at the right moment to give us some wisdom, or correct us and say, "Do you really think you should be doing that, or is that really pleasing God?" Or I know you're struggling with this. Maybe this is a think- way to think about it. Or here are some scriptures. Or can we pray together about this? And let's pray together. And there are people like that, right? It reminds me of Acts 8 of. Um, uh, uh, Philip and the Ethiopian. But the Ethiopian. Should we just go there for a minute? Keep your finger in Luke sixteen, and um, let's go over to Acts chapter eight. <coughs> God provides the right people at the right time, and the question is, I suppose, is has God put somebody into our lives at the moment that we should be <coughs> we should be paying attention to, not because they're special as such, but more that perhaps God might be using them in some way. Whether they're a Christian or not, whoever they are. In Acts 8, we have this situation where, in verse 26, the angel tells Philip to go to the desert road. He goes out, and who does he meet? An Ethiopian eunuch, an important official. He's gone to Jerusalem to worship. He's on his way home, reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. So there he is, reading it, but he's not understanding it. Spirit told Philip, go to that chariot, stay near it. He ran up to the chariot, heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. And asked this key question. Do you understand what you are reading? How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. Mm. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. And then he went on. We'll talk about this a bit more in a minute. So there's Philip, available to God. Goes where God sent him. And hears the man reading. Asks the, the, the big question. And the fellow says, okay, come up in my chariot and explain it. I need someone to explain it. And he recognized at that point, someone is bringing God's word to me. I need to pay attention. Or someone's coming to help me understand God's word. I must pay attention. And I think the spirit of the Ethiopian has been an inspiration to all of us here. We, most of us know this passage pretty well. I think it's very inspiring. And I pray, I pray this morning, I pray nearly every day that I or we collectively as a church will meet Ethiopian eunuchs, 21st century in the Watford area. God give us a Watford Ethiopian unit? Give us somebody who's perhaps been reading the Bible, thinking, asking for God, asking God to help him understand, or her to understand what it means to be, uh, uh, to understand the Bible and what that means. And I pray for that, and I'm sure we all pray for that. And please, let's pray for that. Let's make sure it's, it's, it's commonly part of our prayers that God will, will, do, will give us these people. But then we also are, an, are called to be ready to be the people to, to guide and to teach others like Philip. I think the Ethiopian is inspiring because of his heart but Philip is too. He's willing to run when it would have been more comfortable to walk. He's willing to go talk to a stranger when it would have been more comfortable to stick around with his mates. He's willing to go to another part of the country when it would have been more comfortable to stay where he was surely. That adventurous spirit is part of being a Christian. Then we can be used as people to guide other people and help them to come to know the God that we we currently know. So, do you have a Philip in your life? Maybe we need a Philip. Again, if you've already had one. Or could we be a Philip to somebody else, guided by the Spirit, empowered by the Spirit, help other people to come to know God? I wonder. Something for us to think about, because then if we do, it helps us to see clearly. As was pointed out, um, the rich man must have walked past Lazarus every day, probably twice a day, maybe more often. Is it the gate to the rich man's must have been a palace, because a gate like that, mentioned like that, the word used in the Greek indicates like a huge arch. <clears throat> We're not talking about a little um, a wooden gate you undo the latch. You know, you walk in. It's not that kind of thing. It's like, it's like, uh, it's like the entrance to Disneyland or something. Some big arch that you then walk through. I mean, it's a massive thing. It's the same kind of word used as an archway for a city. So. I mean he lives in a huge palace, this guy, and and Lazarus is laying there, but he doesn't he sees the house or he's with his friends, he doesn't see the beggar lying there. If he had seen Lazarus, or if maybe he did see him but dismissed him, you know, but if he'd really seen Lazarus as somebody put there by God, it would have changed his whole life, it would have changed perhaps his heart, perhaps changed his eternal destiny. And we need these encounters with other people to see things clearly. We see more clearly when we've got people in our lives, as the Ethiopian does when Philip teaches him here. And um, when we have other people in our lives, it helps us to see our sin more clearly. Uh, you know, sometimes I think I know about where, where my sin is, sometimes I'm right, sometimes I'm wrong. And it helps me. I'm not talking about people being giving passing judgment or being harsh, but now and again, other people can see my sin more clearly than I can. It's, it's a fact, isn't it? And so let's welcome people into our lives who are bringing things to us that are clear. <coughs> such a shame that the rich man only really notices Lazarus after he's in torment and when he really needs Lazarus' help. Of course, if he really was a good a son of Abraham, it's interesting that Abraham calls him son in the passage in Luke 16. He's kind to him. Father Abraham is his son. If he'd really known Abraham as his spiritual father, he would have known the, 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 old, the covenant and the Old Testament laws that said you should take care of the poor in Israel. Leave the gleanings for the poor. There should be no beggars in Israel. The rich man knew that. We can rest assured that he was in the synagogue every week. He heard Moses and the prophets read and preached and taught, but he himself did not pay attention to what he was hearing. He didn't listen to the people bringing him God's word in those circumstances. We really need this. And the second thing I think we see in this passage, apart from the fact we need need people, is that we really do need the Bible. We need people to teach us, and we need the Bible. It's the Bible that changes us, isn't it? When I became a Christian, it's probably true for you too, um, I became a Christian, I was helped to become a Christian by many things. By fellowship, by friends in the church, by having fun with members of the church, by praying with people, by talking deeply with people about my life. There were lots of things that helped me. But the thing that got me into the baptistry, like happens with the Ethiopian eunuch, is someone teaching me the Bible and confronting me in a helpful way with what the Bible taught. And that's what happens here. They're thinking about Isaiah and the eunuch asks him, Who is the prophet talking about? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. I was changed by hearing the good news. That's what changed me. And that's why the eunuch surely at one point sees some water and says, What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And maybe you remember it for yourself. But I remember I got to the point where I was ready to get baptized. And no one was going to stop me and it was going to happen, I mean, that's just it, The decision is made, I, I mean, take me to some water, and I slept on it overnight, So I think that was the right thing to do, but the next day, we went down to Bourbon Z to a, uh, a church down there, with a nice warm Baptist street, and, uh, and we got in some water, on the 2nd of November, 1984, and I can tell you the date, and I can tell you how I felt, and I can remember, I've got this picture in my mind of all the things that happened, and I don't have any other strong memories uh, like that from November 1984. It's the only November 1984 memory I have. Because it's so significant. And I remember that sense. And the Ethiopian eunuch says, what about it? So he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water. And Philip baptized him. He needed the word. We need God's word to help us to change. And I think it's so important as a church... That we enjoy our fellowship and we enjoy our talking to each other and helping each other with our experiences and with our opinions and our ideas. But it's also vital that we are a church of the book, as you might say. That we use the Bible in our family devotionals. And how we use it is a whole other question. But we use the Bible in our family devotionals. We share the Bible verses with one another in a helpful, humble way. We, we use it to help ourselves... But also to help other people. We bring it out when we're a bunch of guys hanging out. And Tunde and Leon and I hung out on Monday night. And it was great. We got caught up on life. And that was fantastic. We didn't have our Bibles open. We didn't. That's, but we hadn't spoken and talked like that for ages. And we got caught up. But then you know, then at the end of it we talked about what to pray about for each other. And I think the next time we get together we should probably get our Bibles out. And not for the sake of it but because this is where the power is. This is what changes hearts. And this is... Uh, the point of Jesus' parable is, if Moses and the prophets won't convince somebody, then a, then someone coming, out, coming back from the dead isn't going to make any difference. It's not the spectacular. It's, it's the word itself. This, if our hearts are open and we're really listening, listening. We're really humble to being taught. The rich man kind of argues, "Look, uh, go, and, go and go and send <coughs> someone to my brothers." And he, he's, he's not understanding. That uh, his, his pride got him to where he was. Instead of being humble, he gets desperate. It's too late to be desperate. So let me wrap up by just asking us to reflect, and myself too, whether we're paying attention to God's Word, whether we're paying attention to people God's put into our lives. And perhaps it's not the people you'd like, perhaps it's annoying you. Hopefully, it's not someone annoying here. I don't know. But, uh, you know, sometimes it's the most annoying people that are actually the most helpful. They're annoying. Uh, You get annoying emails. uh, Or text messages. Or Facebook posts. Or or whatever. And sometimes they're actually the very people we need to, to help us to grow in the fruit of the Spirit. And to depend upon God. Is God doing that? Is this the right time? Timing is so important. Part of the thing back in Luke chapter 16 is the warning that there comes a time when (coughs) there's a a time when we have choices to make and there comes a time when that choice is taken away by death. If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. Let's be sure we're paying attention to what God has put into our lives at this time. I read a story um, about a, a Canadian... I think it was last year, maybe all the year before. This Canadian is called Joel Ifigan, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right, but uh, he's an accountant and he lives in Quebec. And, I uh, have a photo of him. Yeah. This chap here. And he, he plays the lottery in Quebec and he went to a newsagent to buy a ticket. We got to lot, the lottery terminal and the deadline for putting in your numbers and punching it all in is 9 p.m. And he got there at 8.59 p.m. And the, the chap in the, sh- in the shop said, you've got to get him in quick because you've got like a minute left. It's 8.59. So he, he did one ticket, one set of numbers, put that in. It was still 8.59. And then he did a second set of numbers and put that in. And it had just ticked over to 9 p.m. Seven seconds after 9 p.m., those numbers came up to win the lottery. He stood to win 27 million Canadian dollars. I'm not quite sure what that is in sterling, but it's still a lot of money. And he was seven seconds too late. And he went to court. And he went to court for years. It was actually this must have been earlier, because he was in court for several years trying to try to Get the money out of the uh, the company. And they said, sorry, seven seconds too late, nine PM is the deadline. And I'm sure there are quite a few tragic stories about that kind of thing. Roman might know more than the rest of us, the way you work. Um, can can you just imagine? I mean, I, I'm not suggesting it's a good or bad thing to do, you know, play the lottery or whatever, but just that that idea of being seven seconds too late, not a day late, not an hour late, not even a minute late. Seven seconds! But, it, but there it was, 9 p.m. was, was the deadline. And, and, and we don't know when our deadline is. We don't know when our friends' deadlines are. And so, thus, let's do our best to ask God to help us to, to have our eyes open to so the people in our lives and the Bible that can help us so that we can be sure of our future. I like this quote, let's finish with this, and then we'll pray. From a book about this passage. If a man cannot be humane with the Old Testament in his hand, and Lazarus on his doorstep, nothing, neither a visitant from the other world, nor a revelation of the horrors of hell, will teach him otherwise. Such requests for signs are pure evasions. Older language, but are rather like it. We've got the Bible and we've got people in in need, then we only have ourselves to blame if we don't pay attention to what God is doing. Now we know that because Jesus came to die for us, this is all about love in the end. Although this is a scary passage, it is a warning, it's not meant to make us paralyzed by guilt and fear. It's just helping us to be sober about what God's given us to help us. So why don't we pray together, and then with gratitude, take that bread and wine that reminds us of what Jesus has done for us. Let's pray for you.